Hey everyone, the following episode was recorded before the Cavs play the Nets. I am currently en route for a work trip, so wasn't able to get a recap up of the game before I was able to go, but just a couple quick thoughts on it. The Cavs did pick up a needed win. I think they've looked, continue to look really, really good. I think they continue to settle in a little bit more, whether that's because of Larry Drew, whether that's because of the new pieces coming back. I think it's something of a combination. I think they are kind of playing for tie right now as well. Looking at this game, you got a lot of good performances from a variety of people. I thought Rodney Hood played really, really well. LeBron obviously played well. Apparently, on three hours of sleep, Kevin Love had a really good game inside. And I think even guys like Tristan Thompson, who had a couple bad moments, but still was, had 10 rebounds and, and four points, played well. Clarkson played well. And, and George Hill, who we're going to talk about on today's show, had one of his best games as a Cavalier. 37 minutes, 6 of them from the field, made three corner threes, played some good defense, 17 points for him, the five assists, the two steals. This was a very good George Hill game. And I think the Cavs, with everything they got from everybody, are getting closer to looking like the team that they probably will be come the playoffs. They are running out of time to figure it all out, but they're getting closer and closer. George Hill is a big part of that. And aside from Larry Nance, I think everyone played pretty well on Sunday against Brooklyn. But today's show is with Jeff Siegel from Fear the Sword, from the Step Back, a variety of other places on George Hill and a little bit on Jordan Clarkson. Back tomorrow with a TBD show and then recaps all week. I'll still be on the road recording, but we'll still be having everything on this podcast. Your daily look at the Cleveland Cavaliers. But here's today's show. You are locked on Cavaliers. Your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Cavaliers podcast, your daily look at LeBron James and the rest of the always interesting Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm Chris Manning, your host and the site manager at Estimations Fear the Sword. On the day show, Jeff Siegel is a writer at Fear the Sword, The Step Back, Blazer's Edge, Peachtree Hoops, a variety of places online, uh, is my guest to talk about George Hill and the Cavs' current point guard. Jeff, what's going on? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. So, George Hill. He was, I think, the the guy that I think in the short term uh, at the trade deadline of who they got at the time, at least, was the guy that I think a lot of people thought, okay, this guy provides this immediate upgrade uh, over Isaiah Thomas, and, and he's the opposite of Isaiah Thomas in a lot of ways. He's he settled in as the team starter. He's, I think, played pretty decently, hasn't blown the doors off anybody, but I don't know if that was you know fair to expect. Larry Nance, I think, has become the, the most impactful player that we've seen so far, at least the most dynamic player from that trade, but what have you made of George Hill's 18 games so far with the Cavs? What has stood out to you, whether it's whether it's good or bad? I think the 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 above the break three pointers have been awful, like just un, unsustainably terrible. He's six for 28 on above the break threes, which just like is just terrible for him, considering he was 46 percent from there in 43 games with Sacramento earlier this season which was like the best in the league from that, from that distance. So it makes really, I think that's the part that's really dragging down his offensive efficiency. Everything else has been relatively normal. He's finishing at the rim really well, hitting the mid range jumper when he gets it, he's hitting from the corners, but he just can't hit that above the break three. And that's why his efficiency is, is really down. And that's why he's had some of these, you know, pretty poor games, but you know, I think overall 
he's been pretty much what they what they would have expected from him as a sort of off the ball guy who can play really well with LeBron. Like theoretically, George Hill should be a a really good fit next to LeBron, and you know as long as he can hit those threes. His you look at his raw three point shooting numbers. And the same exact attempts he was taking with the Kings, that's 5.7 a game. His percentage has gone down from 45.3% to 36.1%. That's a huge drop. And maybe that 45, which I believe was league best when he, at the time of, of the trade, and considering he wasn't you know, playing all the time or whatever, that's, there's, that's worth noting. But he has not shot this low, this drop-off to where he is right now. It hasn't not shot this low since the the 2014-15 season with the Pacers. In 15-16, above 40%. 16-17, above 40%. This year, way above 40% um, on three-pointers. This is this is a big drop for him from where he was. And maybe this is an adjustment period. And and I, I have this – I'm going to call it the Kyle Corver theory, but Kyle Corver, when he got traded to the Cavs from the Hawks, talked about how it was an adjustment for him with the types of three-pointers he was getting. With the Hawks, as, as you know very well – he came around screens. He came around action designed for him to get open threes. With the Cavs, he largely, and it's changed a little bit now, but he would largely stand there and wait for LeBron or someone to pass him the ball when he would just be standing open and would basically get open based on the gravity of the defense. It's He still was hitting a good clip, and he's, I think, looked really good for parts of this season. But I think that there's got to be a difference as a shooter that when your rhythm is either dribbling into it or catching it off a screen or something rather than just standing there. And I, I don't know this. I haven't gone back and looked at every three-pointer George Hill's taken so far. But I wonder if there's something to the idea that this is a guy that is just getting different types of threes than he's used to and that in itself is a rhythm adjustment for him. I mean, in in uh, in Indiana where he spent you know the majority of his career, he was having a lot of these same sort of spot up looks because Paul George was there and Paul George had a, the lion's share of of uh, some of those possessions just like LeBron does now. And so I would think that he would be you know probably a, a little bit more used to being a spot up guy than a guy like Corver who was who was more of a focal point of 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 certain offensive plays when he was in Atlanta. Um, but I would think that Hill you know is is relatively used to hitting those spot up jumpers. Obviously in, in Sacramento, he was a little bit more, you know, he had the ball a little bit more, but even then he was obviously hitting his, his shots in Sacramento. Uh, you know, it's almost, it's the, the, the blip is so far removed from his norms that I just think it's, it's just a statistical blip and we're going to find, you know, if he, you know, whether he turns it around really soon or he doesn't turn it around until next season, by the end of his, his Cleveland tenure, he'll have shot, you know, 40, 41%. And we'll look at it like just another, you know, just another stop for George Hill. And of note, he's had two good games since he had a, a zero-point game earlier last week, and then the two games before we recorded this, he's looked a little bit better, a little bit more aggressive. It's something Larry Drew and LeBron have talked about with him, is that they want him to be aggressive, to attack, to to find his shots, and not just to move the ball for the sake of moving the ball. What else in his game is strategy? I, I think, that for me, the, the two things that I would say is, one, his defense is... Not always been perfect, but I think he he's fighting in a way that the Cavs weren't getting a point guard before, and then in a way that they're not getting with other guys. Uh, they're they're going to use him, I think, in a couple of different ways in terms of who he's going to guard. That I think is sort of interesting. And if you look at his assist numbers, I don't know what to really make of this, but his assists are slightly down from where they were um, with with the Kings. His assist percentage is is the lowest it has been in his career or sorry, since he was with Sacramento's at its lowest. And this is um, a little bit different and it's a little bit lower. And it's a weird situation for him because he's with LeBron, but 
it's a, for me, it's like a very interesting thing for Hill that I just don't really know if his role has like been quite defined. And some of this is no Kevin Love for a while. Rodney Hood's been out. Um, he's had different shooting guards all the time. He's had, he just started two games with Jose Calderon. I, I wonder if some of his issues with trying to find that role as, as an assist guy, trying to just know exactly what he's supposed to do on a night-to-night basis with this team is that this team has barely been healthy together, and he just might feel that more than some of the other guys that naturally are just going to, if you're Jordan Clarkson, just shoot a lot, or if you're Larry Nance, going to fill in, in in the blind spots that just naturally create themselves, and that, that has set him up to look really good. I wonder if Hill just is a, is a, doesn't benefit from some of the weirdness that has happened since he's come over. Yeah, I think it's it's the biggest thing for Hill is, is trying to find that rhythm, trying to find that role within this team, especially when LeBron and Kevin Love are healthy and George Hill's a starter. Like that assist percentage is almost going to be, you know, you, you can't really think of George Hill as a point guard in that situation because obviously LeBron's going to have the ball a lot. They're going to run some of the offense through Love. Hill's really the third option there. And so you you can't really, I don't think you should look at his assist percentage and go, oh, that means he's not, you know, filling in his role as a point guard. It's like, He's an off-the-ball shooter type. He just happens to be point guard-sized and guard point guards on the other end. But as a as an offensive role, his role is to spot up, hit shots, drive closeouts when he can, finish around the basket, which he's done well in Cleveland. And you know, just you know, for the uh, you know for his career, he's like a 66% finisher. He's 66% at the rim in Cleveland. So it's just about you know he's he's doing everything he's sort of supposed to do, other than you know hitting those above the break threes that he he needs to do a little bit better on. But you know, in terms of his creation for himself and others like that's just not I don't think that's going to be his role long term with this with this Cleveland team if George Hill's playing really well I I I wonder if you should outwardly just like feel like you're saying his name a lot you know like I wonder if he's the guy especially with LeBron especially with Kevin Love being I think clearly the two guys that are going to be the focal point of this team and and with a guy like Larry Nance maybe being the the guy that's going to provide the highlights and and is going to get that focus especially I think locally I wonder if he's just a guy that you notice him when he does the smart little things where it's he's you know if it's in the playoffs it's maybe taking on Victor Oladipo in in a series or something or def- doing a really good job on John Wall in in a three six first round series if you get to the to the conference finals and he just does a really good job on Lowry in a game six or something like I I wonder if that's just like the the type of stuff you need to do to he needs to kind of be in and the situations he needs to be in to just appreciate what he does because he's not going to be a guy that's going to like do like Nance does and dunk. He's not going to be like Clarkson and, and maybe score seven in a row. He's just kind of steady. He's kind of there. They, they want him to be more aggressive, but I think there's probably a ceiling on that. And I, I, I don't, I think Nance, and I don't know if you agree, this has been the best guy so far and he just missed four games himself. But I, I think Hill has probably been number two just because he's steady and, and the, the issues I've had with him since he's come over, I don't, and we'll get into this, I don't necessarily think it's him. I think it's sort of how he's been deployed to some degree. Yeah, I think, I mean, your, your point about Nance being the best guy, I think, is, is correct, obviously, but is, is also has a lot to do with the way, the, the role that he's been thrust into, especially before Love came back, where he was really, he just stepped right in and was getting a lot of minutes. Thompson was injured a little bit, too, and so, like, it's, you know, Nance just kind of stepped right in and, and played that pick-and-roll game really well with LeBron, played it well with, with Clarkson, especially because they've had that connection since, uh, since they were in, with the Lakers together, and Hill sort of you know, he, you, you can see him sort of floating in and out of games. He doesn't, you know, sometimes he'll, he just struggles to sort of find out where, you know, where he fits best. And, and, but I think as he sort of gets, gets more comfortable and, and as he sort of gets more, 
more accustomed to how LeBron plays with the ball, especially in the movement that he needs to to create on the perimeter uh, as LeBron drives to the basket or, or as LeBron, you know, sometimes dances in isolation a little bit. I think he'll he'll fit a little bit more with uh, with the team offensively and defensively, like you were talking about. That's where his the main part of his value lies, and he's not, you know, he's always been a positive on the defensive end. He's not the greatest like off ball help defender, but like when you need him to, hey, here's John Wall, Kyle Lowry, Victor Oladipo, go just be a dog, shut that guy down. Like I think he's better in that role than he would be in a hey, I need you to guard somebody who can't really shoot and you're going to need to help into the lane a lot. Like, that's just not his his forte from what I've seen. Um, you know, obviously they've been pretty poor with him on the defensive end so far, but I think that's, you know, obviously Cleveland has a lot of uh, a lot of defensive issues and, you know, just because they brought in Hill, he's not going to fix all of those. But definitely in a playoff situation, he can he can step up, step up to a, an opposing point guard, an opposing two guard even in Oladipo and, and do a good job there. That seven-foot wingspan was, for me, the startling thing about seeing him play in person for the first time in, a, in maybe a year or so, just because you're just like, oh, right, this, and especially after Isaiah, it's just, oh, right, this guy is, is very long, this guy is uh, just, just has this, like, kind of freak athleticism, and it's, and not freak athleticism, but, like, just the freak length to kind of disrupt passing lanes when he decides to kind of just put the effort into that. The one, here, here's what I mean when I say I don't necessarily love how he's been deployed. There, are, there have been a couple instances, I want to say it's at least three that come to mind, where he does not close the game. He, The way that the Cavs have managed his minutes so far is he comes out near the end of the first, he comes back to finish the second quarter, starts the third, obviously, comes out late in the third, and then it start, it's on the bench to start the fourth quarter for with Clarkson playing point guard. They have had a couple instances where it's, in, for both Ty Lue and Larry Drew already in his first couple games, has decided to close with Clarkson and ride Clarkson, whether, whether if, especially if he just hits a couple shots, they ride Clarkson a little bit. I don't love that. I don't know if you would agree with this, but I kind of think with what he'll provide as an off-ball shooter, as a defender most importantly, even if he has the limitations off-ball and help defense, and, and maybe he'll get better at that in the playoffs. I wonder at least I think so, why he wouldn't necessarily just be automatically inserted the game. I know that Ty Lue has this Doc Riversy thing in him where he rides the hot hand. Larry Drew seems to have some of that in him as well. I kind of just think like what he provides versus what Clarkson provides, it's weird to me that he just doesn't come in at the end of games because I just think having that guy who is going to be steady in offense, won't make turnovers, can hit open threes, and can defend is just, it's really valuable in a way that Clarkson being able to just maybe make a shot and and maybe hijack the offense a little bit to do so, I don't really see the upside to Clarkson. It's not it's not like this is like picking between George Hill and Kyrie. Like this isn't a Delhi Kyrie debate in some to some degree. This is something different, and I think it like Clarkson is not does not have that offensive potential to me that that overrides what Hill provides. And I I think in the playoffs, I I think it could be problematic to some degree if Hill's not closing games just automatically with with LeBron and with Kevin Love. I think Clarkson's the perfect kind of point combo guard that you would want when LeBron's not in the game. But once LeBron comes back in, he and Clarkson just don't have that, like they don't fit well together because Clarkson, you know, despite his, his shooting numbers this year has not, is not really a, a high level three point shooter. Obviously he's been fantastic for Cleveland from the, from the corners, especially 65% from the corners so far for, uh, 
for Clarkson, you know, for when he's uh, after he joined the Cavs. So, you know, obviously he's been super hot, but like in general, and especially in the playoffs, I would try, I mean, obviously you're, you and I are in agreement on that, that we would trust George Hill to hit those shots, to play high level defense, uh, you know, much more than Clarkson. Obviously Clarkson's a, a pretty poor defender, you know, even, even in a situation like Cleveland where, you know, he's got a lot to play for and the, the team is, is not good on defense, but obviously the team is good overall. And so the effort level is there, but Clarkson just, he's not, he's just never going to be a, a solid defender. I don't think. And, you know, it's, it's, when, when you're thinking about closing games and you think about having the ball in LeBron James's hands most of the time, who do you want around him? Hill is the perfect, Hill is the perfect role player for LeBron James. And, and I wrote about this for, for Fansided when they first made the trade. Like, Hill can knock down threes. He can play solid defense. He can defend a position that LeBron doesn't defend. So it's not like you have him on the, on a, on the team's best wing and, and that puts LeBron's defensive role in flux. Like Hill can take away point guards and LeBron can sort of play center field. And it's just, you know, that I think in the playoffs and I, I really, you know, once we get into the conference finals, once the Cavaliers, if they make the finals, once they get there, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, if Clarkson is literally playing the eight, six to eight minutes a game that, that LeBron isn't playing and doesn't really see the floor with LeBron, you know, especially to end games. From NBA Wowie, um, so far we've seen Hill and Clarkson have played 102 minutes together. They're they're averaging 1.23 points per possession, which is a little bit better than their defensive numbers. It's one uh, they're getting scored on 1.104. So again, some of the lineup data I think we see with the Cavs so far, with no love for a lot of this. Nance Hood just coming back. All these different caveats you want to throw out there. I think it's really, really hard to evaluate some of this. I don't. I also just don't love. I know why they're doing it, but I don't know if I love Hill Clarkson and and getting a lot of time together. Now, I, I think maybe there's some hesitancy with how J.R. Smith has looked. I think Hood's back injury has thrown a wrinkle into this. I think Jetty Osman being hurt with that hip flexor injury has thrown some some has kind of limited their options. I don't really love Hill and Clarkson together either because with with Clarkson. Yes, he can go get that shot. Yes, he has shot really well to, with the Cavs, especially, as you pointed out, from the corners. He's not a guy that looks for other people. And I think if you're going to play two point guards with Hill, I kind of want someone who may, is also just maybe going to move the ball a little bit more than Clarkson. Um, and I'd have to go back and look at some of the context of this and see, you know, is this when LeBron's on the floor? Is it when he's not? But I I, I don't really love them together as a duo either. It's really they're, they're so opposite in so many ways that it's hard for me to kind of reconcile what their cohesive like they don't need to be the exact same, but I, I don't know if I love them as a as a point guard duo to some degree. It's it's I think the the the, the talk that Cavs announcers have done about Jose Calderon being so effective is gonna like would end up being false come the playoffs. But I think there's somebody said that the type of game Jose Calderon has benefits this group in a way that maybe something like Clarkson doesn't. The one thing I would push back on on that is that Hill and Clarkson, even though Clarkson is particularly poor as an individual defender, having Clark, Clarkson and Hill and not Calderon out there is is nice defensively because they've just been switching a lot when Clarkson's out there because he can really at six foot five he can sort of guard point guards he can sort of guard twos and threes I mean obviously he's not great at any of it but he's he's capable of, of switching up and down a little bit more obviously Hill can with the, with that uh, seven foot wingspan as well and he's just you know he's a much you know better defender than than Clarkson is so I think you know the the switchiness on defense makes a little bit of sense and so that's I think that's you know maybe what they're they're going for with playing those two guys together and then you know in a in a situation without LeBron 
if Hill and Clarkson are out there together, you give the ball to Clarkson, let him let him do a little bit more of the creative stuff, let him play sort of that mini LeBron role. Obviously, LeBron is, you know, we're not comparing those two in terms of offensive skill set, but you you sort of you run the offense through Clarkson and see, you know, see what he can give you in those minutes that LeBron isn't playing. And Hill's still there as a as a release valve, as a somebody who can be sort of more of a secondary ball handler, even though he, you know, might be more of a more effective as a ball handler than Clarkson. Just because of Hill's ability to space the floor and be more of a secondary guy, I think that's where you would you would give the ball to Clarkson a little bit more in those situations. But you know, especially defensively, I think that combination, just from a, a, a switch aspect, you know, might be somewhat uh, a little bit better than playing like Hill and Calderon, even though that might make more sense offensively because of Calderon's ability to pass and Hill's ability to you know hit knockdown shots, and obviously Calderon as well can can hit those shots. So. I think that's more of what they're going for, even though it seems weird that playing Jordan Clarkson is a defensive choice. It, it I think that's 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 their, uh, you know, that's their strategy. That's what they're what they're sort of going for, playing those two guys together. Nothing off the table when it comes to the Cavs and, and weird defensive choices, just with the, with this group and how they've done. I mean, we're we're seeing them to some degree run three point three guard lineups where Jarrett Smith is playing the three, and that's. Of that in itself is something that I that we haven't really seen. We're kind of used to them playing these more traditional lineups, and and Kevin Love at the five is is more getting more traditional in this NBA. But the three guard stuff is something that they really haven't done in years past. It's been LeBron kind of playing the three with maybe going up to the four, but there's been like a someone next to him that was a little bit bigger. They haven't gone to the, the straight up three guards that we've seen them kind of do. Looking at Clarkson for a second, what? What when we when we get to evaluating this team in the playoffs when when we see they when they, maybe they call the rotation and they they make some kind of adjustments, where does he fit in for you? Is is it just the maybe like the the beginning of the second quarter, beginning of the fourth with bench units? Is it slightly different? So maybe he's you have someone out there with Kevin Love who's gonna kind of supplement Love a little bit differently than, than what Clarkson going to do. What is Clarkson's ideal role in your mind once we're actually getting into the season when it actually matters? Are we, if we're assuming that everybody's healthy, that everybody's coming back to, to relatively full strength for, you know, like Hood, Osmond, you know, guys like that, if everybody's around and in full strength, Clarkson, I mean, I, I think I said this earlier, I, I'm not sure Clarkson plays more than whatever minutes LeBron doesn't. And, you know, he might just be that, the, you know, the, the spark plug, you know, off the bench guy who plays eight minutes, six minutes. I mean, LeBron's going to play 40, 42 minutes in the playoffs. And, you know, especially once we get down to the conference finals and the NBA finals, he's going to play a ton. And Clarkson doesn't totally fit with LeBron. Like, you know, just theoretically, you know, unless he, unless he is a, a fantastic corner shooter and just never really got that opportunity in LA because he was more of a, of a ball handler, you know, we don't, we don't know that he's not a, a, a crazy efficient shooter from the corners, but I think we can assume that that 65% is not, you know, indicative of his actual, uh, his actual shooting level, you know, considering what everything we've seen before this. So I would, I would imagine for me, if it were me, I think I would, I would play him when LeBron's not in and that would be pretty much it. I wouldn't play him with LeBron. And so that, you know, it only leaves maybe six or eight minutes a game for, for, for Clarkson. When you think of this this casting, what is your ideal closing five? This is like an offshoot of this, but when you think about what you want to close the last three minutes of a close playoff game with, do you have you? I mean, just shot in the dark right now, honestly, based on what we've seen. Yeah, I think I mean it's got to be LeBron, Love, and Hill. Those are your those are your big three, and then you know, 
I mean, I would I would go with Love at center, depending on who you're playing against. Obviously, like matchups, you know, matchups matter. If you're playing against, say, Toronto, and they're throwing out Valanciunas, and Valanciunas is hot, and he's play, you know, he's had a had a good game down low. That's when you might throw out like Nance or Thompson or somebody who can who can handle them a little bit better. But just sort of theoretically, in general, the the five that I would sort of go with at the end would probably be LeBron, Love, Hill, and then Kyle Korver and Rodney Hood probably. Um, you know, I think those those five make the most sense, assuming that everybody's healthy and that everybody's playing their sort of normal, you know, to their normal skill level. I would imagine that that's that's probably my my closing five. But, you know, I, I think you could probably sub in Osman if he's playing well for Hood or for Corver. J.R. Smith, of course, if he's hitting shots, you can go with a big guy, Nance or Thompson. But, uh, you know, we just named how many guys was that? Eight. No, if I, I think that was like nine guys I just named, and Clarkson's name didn't show up at all. And I think that's what we're talking about with him is is when it comes down to you know who's going to play to to close the game. Clarkson might be the ninth or tenth guy on the on the roster that I would trust to to play in a close game like that. The the two names that out of this that kind of are most intriguing to me are, is it's Nance and it's Corver because I think Corver as an offensive piece is could be really valuable in a close game because you have to track him. We know teams are probably going to freak out and throw a lot at LeBron. You can probably live with a late game Kyle Korver three point attempt. You know, like you're going to be good with a guy that's like a over forty percent shooter for his career from three with that shot. With with Nance, I wonder if there's just something to the idea that on especially on defense he's going to just cover for Love a little bit better than than Love can kind of cover for himself, and that LeBron maybe will have the the the, the focus to really do on that end of the floor, and maybe focus is the wrong word. He also on offense, just I think there's something to the idea that he fills in like in these little gaps that Love and LeBron create together that Thompson kind of can, but he see, if he's not healthy, it's going to be hard for him to do it. If 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 Larry Nance is good to go, there could I think there could be a lot of times where Toronto just just freaks out against LeBron or freaks out on a Love on a Love post up or a Love three. And Nance just gets easy dunks. And I just wonder if there's something to having that guy out there to, to be energetic to do that. And and that, to me, is a kind of like him. For me, I think my five against most teams would be George Hill. I think I go go Hood just because, right now just because even if – especially if he's healthy because the, de- the defensive potential is just a little bit higher than Corver's right now at this point in their careers. LeBron, love at the four – and then Nance at the five. I don't unless Toronto goes really small or Boston goes really small. I think there's really only two teams that the Cavs could get in this playoff run that really could make Love at the four be an issue, and that's that's Houston and Golden State. I don't know if any of the teams in the East can really make the Cavs miserable if Kevin Love's playing the four. I, at least I don't. I'd have to. It's possible, but I don't know if I buy that. That's like going to be a problem for them this year. I think love at the four. I, my default would be love at the five, especially in the East, especially against teams that start like Aaron Baines or jo- Jonas Valanciunas. I mean, we saw that game. You know, we saw against uh, against Toronto earlier this week how love just ran Valanciunas all over the floor, and he had all sorts of open threes, especially in that first quarter. Uh, you know, I think love. Love at center opens up so much offensively that I know Nance like fills in these gaps offensively and can do you know can do some things defensively, but just the the sheer gravity that Love has or the just how open he'll be if Valanciunas hangs back in the lane or helps on LeBron or something. I think that overrides a lot of the little things that Nance does, you know, especially against a team that that plays a little bit. Um, 
it plays a little bit bigger. I would almost, I would almost, I guess, be on the opposite end of where you were in that I would rather play love at the five against teams in the East, like Toronto and Boston, who, who start traditional centers and then rather play love at the four against teams like Houston and Golden State who are trying to go a little bit smaller. And then, you know, love might have a little bit more of a, uh, of an advantage playing at the four, you know, trying to post up a little more, play through him at the elbows. You know, he, you know, obviously, you know, Love's not going to be a great defender no matter where you put him, but at the four, he's not going to be as involved in, uh, in pick and roll defense and stuff like that. So I, I think, you know, I, I, I can see both sides of it. Obviously Nance brings a lot of little things to the table that, that are necessary for, for a good team, especially, you know, the way he can, he can find holes in, in the, in the paint offensively. When guys drive, he's really solid at sort of filling in around the lane lines or filling in, you know, sort of in the middle of the key between the, between the free throw line and the rim. I think that's, that's, those things are all very, very important, but the just sort of theoretically the, I think playing love at the five, we saw that against Valanciunas earlier. We, you know, I think against Aaron Baines, if, if, if uh, the Boston were to start him, that that Love's ability to space the floor at a high level, and and obviously uh, LeBron trusts him to to knock down those shots. I think that would that would be more beneficial for for Cleveland. Do you have any concerns about the the Cavs' rebounding if they're playing Love at the five? Because I the Toronto game they had some issues with and, and just the size. I mean, at times the the size of Valanciunas and the size of Jakob Pertl, who was better than I realized was kind of an issue for him because he's not a big center. He's like 6'9", 6'10". Those guys are going to have some size. I mean, is that a concern at all when you when you think about him playing the five in a, in a closing in a closing close game? I would imagine, I mean, I would I would imagine that guys around him can, it's, can sort of try to pick up some of that slack. I mean, George Hill has had sort of a down rebounding year in Cleveland. I guess we, we can call it a year, even though it's only been like six weeks. But I think he's been sort of, He's been not as good of a rebounder as he could have been, uh, you know, in other places. Rodney Hood, you know, guys like these. I think as as I would give that up to to have the offensive advantage for me, than rather than you know put another rebounder out there and 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 muck up the offense a little more. That's just my own personal taste. You know, you can obviously you're going to have time in a series to try both things. You know, but you know my default would still you know would would be. LeBron, uh, love at the five and you can you know have everybody else really crash the boards on on de- crash the defensive boards to to prevent offensive rebounds and you know maybe that takes away a little bit from your transition offense but you know if LeBron comes in and gets a defensive rebound that's a transition opportunity immediately automatically like no matter you know he could be the last guy down and he's still if he's got the ball crossing half court at even half speed that's a transition opportunity for them so I think I think there are ways to do it. I think you would have to, you know, focus with with the guys who are going to play with him that like everybody needs to rebound. This is not, hey, Kevin Love who got 30 rebounds in a game one time and used to be one of the great rebounders uh, in NBA history really. We still need to help him. Like just because he's a great rebounder doesn't mean we can just everybody else gets to leak out and and we're going to try to throw touchdowns every time cuz, you know, that's going to give up offensive rebounds to especially to a guy like Valanciunas, Pirtle you know, maybe even like Aaron Baines is, is bigger than, than love is. And he can, he can get in there physically with love and, and get some offensive rebounds. So I think, I think it would be more of a team wide rebounding philosophy rather than a, rather than inserting an individual to help with the rebounding. If he, if that guy is taken away from some of their offensive firepower. 
this would be one of the conversations um, I think we'd have a couple times. If the Cavs do get the Sixers in the first round, I think just the Embiid factor of that could be a really interesting discussion of you just like have to ask Kevin Love to pull him out, try to pull him out of the paint and then put a body on him for five seconds or two seconds. So LeBron or someone else can get a rebound. I think that would be a really, that'll be interesting to see how they do it. We, we, we still don't know very much just yet about this Cavs team and how they fit together. It's it's a really weird thing to think about considering we're, as we recorded this, and 10 games out of the playoffs, nine games out after you hear this podcast. But Jeff Siegel has been today's guest. Uh, Jeff, just give everyone a reminder of where they can find you on Twitter and everywhere you're writing right now. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JG Siegel. I do X's and O's and cap stuff over there. I do, I write kind of all over the place right now. I'm writing at Fansided's The Step Back. Fear the sword for Cleveland stuff. Obviously, if you're listening to this, that might be something you're interested in. Um, once the playoffs roll around, I'll be really, you know, a lot more active with with Fear the Sword in terms of uh, doing X's and O's and stuff like that from their playoff games. I'm doing uh, Atlanta Hawks over at Peachtree Hoops. The Atlanta Hawks are still an NBA team, despite what a lot of people think. Uh, they're still playing and they're still doing some fun stuff. So if you're interested in them, I'm over there for those guys. And uh, for the Portland Trailblazers, I'm over at Blazers Edge. You know, three SB Nation blogs for me right now, so it's kind of all over the place. But you know, you can find all my stuff on on Twitter, and that's a that's a good place for to you know interact with me and try to figure out uh, sort of where I'm going next. Yeah, follow Jeff uh, and find the pod on Twitter at Locked On Cavs and on Facebook at Locked On Cavs. Me on Twitter at CWM Rights and on Facebook at CWM Rights. Back tomorrow before Cavs Heat. Have a good Monday. <laughs>